Well, I hope that you all have been enjoying finding out about these hidden figures this summer. I think we have four more to go after today. And I am giddy about today's hidden figure. It is, like many of them, you've probably read this story, but you've just read over it. Um, there is no other city in the history of the world that has been the seat of influence both religiously, culturally, financially, politically, throughout history than the city of Rome. Without Rome, who knows how long it would have been for the world to discover that roads would help connect cities, make it easier to travel. Without Rome, who knows how long we would have had a form of government that was by the people, for the people, democracy. Without Rome, who knows how long it would have been till we had those oval places we like to visit so often, especially in the fall, sports stadiums. Without Rome, we would not have public baths. In Austin, we call them pools this time of year. In the first century, Rome was the seat of influence in the world. Around the year 60, a Jewish man, a man born a Roman citizen, but from an area called Tarsus, he came to Rome to serve out a prison sentence on house arrest. He was on house arrest because he had been disrupting the peace throughout the Mediterranean world, talking about this person named Jesus. This man, who was originally called Saul, but after a dramatic encounter on the road to Damascus, was renamed Paul, he had the specific mission. And he was, was given this specific mission to share the good news, the gospel of Jesus with the non-Jewish world, with the Gentile world, with our world. And if you go back this afternoon when you're wanting to stay inside in the cool, read chapters 23 to 28 of Acts. And you will see that there were so many obstacles that arose for him to be able to get to Rome. The fact that he made it really is a miracle. But consider this. What would have happened if Paul only made it to Athens? Or he only made it to Corinth or to Ephesus? These are three big-time cities in first century, and they had some possibility for influence. But y'all, without Paul making it to Rome, the course of Christian, of Christian Christianity throughout history would have forever changed. Because Paul made it to Rome, he was literally geographically and culturally positioned to be able to share the good news of Jesus Christ. From then on, it spread throughout the world. But you know what? He almost didn't make it there. And for those of you that have read the end of Acts, you might think, oh, he almost didn't make it there because he was shipwrecked or because he was beaten or because he had to escape from cities in the middle of the nights. You know, he almost didn't even make it out of Jerusalem. He almost didn't make it out of Jerusalem. Our scripture that we're going to read today has us right there at that scene in Jerusalem. He is hanging out in the local prison 
in Jerusalem because he keeps talking about this person named Jesus who he is claiming is the Messiah and the Jews are livid. They get him to go to the the Romans. The Romans flog him. A flogging means you get tied to a post and you get whipped repeatedly. So before our scene, he's already been flogged. He's already been questioned. And in the middle of that questioning, the high person, the, the, the official that's overseeing the case finds out that that Paul's actually a Roman citizen. And that tribune realizes, oh no, I have made a grave mistake because you see, if you were a Roman citizen, then by law you had to undergo trial first. And he didn't think he was a Roman citizen, so he let all these things happen to him. So the tribune knows he has to get him to Rome. But all the Jews are so upset, they want Paul to have to suffer the consequences for this disruption that he is causing. And so the scene is super intense, and then suddenly this hidden figure shows up and changes the course of history. Before we read that scripture, will y'all join me in this prayer for illumination that we have been using throughout our season? Loving God, by the power of your spirit, help us to approach your word. Remind us of those people whose stories we might not always notice. Show us how these hidden figures fit into your larger purpose and help us to hear and understand from their lives how you are calling us to live today. Amen. Here now the word of our Lord from Acts 23. In the morning, the Jews joined in a conspiracy and bound themselves by an oath neither to eat nor drink until they had killed Paul. There were more than 40 who joined in this conspiracy. They went to the chief priests and the elders and they said, we have strictly bound ourselves by an oath to taste no food until we have killed Paul. Now then, you and the council must notify the tribune to bring him down to you on the pretext that you want to make a more thorough examination of his case. And we are ready to do away with him before he arrives. But do not be persuaded. That's the wrong scripture. Come back here. I'm going to read it here. Don't look, look at the screen. Now the son of Paul's sister heard about the ambush. And so he went and he gained entrance to the barracks. And this is what he told Paul. And Paul called one of the centurions and said, take this young man to the tribune for he has something to report to him. So he took him and he brought him to the tribune and said, the prisoner Paul called me and asked me to bring this young man to you. He has something to tell you. And so the tribune took him by the hand and pulled him aside privately and then said, what is it that you have to report to me? And the young man answered, the Jews have agreed to ask you to bring Paul down to the council tomorrow as though they were going to inquire more thoroughly into his case. But do not be persuaded by them. For more than 40 of their men are lying in ambush for him. They have bound themselves by an oath neither to eat nor drink till they kill him. They are ready now and are waiting for your consent. 
So the tribune dismissed the young man, ordering him, tell no one that you have informed me of this. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. The author of the book of Acts, Luke, he gives us such amazing detail. It's like we're at the scene. So it's the morning. And there's a group of of men and we're told they're just Jewish men, 40 of them. It's interesting that the folks that are so upset at this point are not the leaders. It's not the chief priests. See, up to the point in this point in scripture, all of that like resistance against Jesus and resistance against Christians and resistance against the early disciples had come from the leadership. But now it's in the masses. These are just 40 ordinary men and they have decided to start an intermittent fast. They're not doing this because it is the latest diet trend. No, they are doing this because they have made an oath together. And without eating or drinking, they are binding themselves together because they want Paul to die. But note, they don't just want Paul dead. They want to kill him. They want him murdered. They are planning an ambush so that this man no longer lives. And Luke calls it a conspiracy. It's the only time in the whole New Testament that this word is used, and it's used twice in our passage today. And the Greek word literally means to conspire together or to be bound together. And these 40 men are bound together with their hatred for this person. I feel like uh, at this point, if you were reading this and there was theme music in the background, it would say, dun, dun, dun. And something bad is about to happen There are these men, everyday men, they're essentially giving orders to their leaders. This is what you need to do. You need to go to the Roman tribune and you need to tell him that you need to question Paul again. And then when Paul is on his way, we will ambush him. And what's so interesting about the scripture is it's like it's going to happen. It's like the masses are convincing the leaders what they need to do. At some point, there there must have been a bystander or maybe even one of them. Maybe this young man was, you know, a servant in the court, a servant in the barracks. We're not told what this young man's purpose was, but he hears of the plan. And Luke makes sure to tell us this is Paul's nephew, the son of Paul's sister, At this point in the scripture, Paul is probably in his 50s. And this nephew, who we're not told his name, but we are told that he is a young man. And so with the courage that only a young adult can have, the nephew hears of the danger that's coming towards his uncle and he must do something. And so he goes. He has to warn his uncle I imagine that this boy had been raised hearing stories of his uncle as a child. Y'all recall that his uncle was a powerful Jewish leader. His mom probably told him as a young boy that his uncle had a position of authority and power in their faith. He was a leader 
of the Jewish people. And specifically, he would have heard stories how his uncle was responsible for taking care of Jews who broke the law. The ones who disturbed the peace. He had heard those stories from his mother about how his uncle oversaw stonings of people who had done things wrong and who had claimed that there was a Messiah. But then something happened to his uncle this one day years ago on his road to Damascus. His uncle said that he had heard a voice uh, that he actually heard from Jesus saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And And the craziest thing happened. This uncle of his, he changed his name And then the very people that his uncle was was seeking out, he actually became one of them. And he began to talk about this this Jesus. And, And now this young man for the past year has watched his uncle preach to crowds of people. And the crowds were amazed. And he's seen how this message of Jesus that his uncle shared Young, old, men, women, they would hear about this Jesus and then they would believe and they would get baptized. People's lives were changing. This is who this nephew had just heard was going to be murdered. He hears this, he has to do something. How many times have you watched or read or seen or even been part of in your life something that's not right? It's, it's not right and you say, I have to do something. The hidden figure here shows us the healthy way to do that. Because the Emily way to do that is I'm going to show up. And I'm going to show up with my way to fix what needs to be fixed. And I'm going to come into the situation and I'm going to fix it. I'm going to put it all together. I'm going to do my duty. But this hidden figure, he shows us a different way. We don't know why, but he somehow gained access to the jail. That's why I think that he was probably maybe a servant in the jail. And so as he passes by those Roman leaders, they think, oh, he's just going to do his duty The nephew hears and then he goes, but the author of Acts is really intentional. He doesn't tell us that the nephew just goes. He doesn't just show up with his agenda. The Greek word that's used there is very specific. It's para genomai, and anytime para is before a verb, it indicates how the verb is supposed to be acted. And you see, para means to come alongside. So this nephew, he didn't just go with his agenda and how he was going to fix it. He shows up to his uncle in this time of trial and he comes right alongside him. Paul's nephew came alongside him in his time of trial. I find it fascinating that while this large group, this of 40 or so men are trying to conspire together, being bound together to actually murder someone, there's actually one person creating a conspiracy of his own. This is what our world needs from us as followers of Christ. When we see or we hear of something that we know is leading to danger or to harm, or we just hear a story about someone we know who is going through a trial, 
emotional or physical or spiritual. We need to find a way to go but come alongside. And you know what I love so much about this passage, what we really need to hear from this passage is that the nephew comes alongside just one person. It's not a, it's not a team. It's not an entire nation. It's not an entire group of people. I think sometimes the reason that I don't come alongside something is it just seems too big. I mean, what can I do to address mental health issues in our area? What could I do to to help with this opioid epidemic? What could I do, just one person? This young man models for us just to come alongside someone. One of my role models, he doesn't know that he is, but uh, he's a pastor in Atlanta. His name's Andy Stanley. And he was preaching once about just the overwhelmedness of being the pastor of tens of thousands of people and what could he do? And, and he has this mantra and, and he says, choose to do for one what you wish you could do for many. Choose to do for one what you wish you could do for many. I mean, right in this room, we have people that are, that are kind of in the barracks, like Paul was a day, of their own, and, and they need a nephew or a niece to come alongside. Choose one. In Atlanta, our family lived on a cul-de-sac with three other families who were all raising boys about the same age. It was like Lord of the Flies every day. We lived there for 13 years, and so when we moved to Austin, we moved to a street, not in a neighborhood. We have one neighbor on the left and one neighbor on the right. And I I remember saying to Charlie, like, I've got to know my neighbors, and they didn't show up. I thought, you know, in the South, people come to you, and they bring you, like, banana bread or stuff. And uh, they just, and I said, you know what? If no one comes over, I'm just going to go over there. I have to be able to borrow an egg or a cup of milk, or if my water goes out, use the restroom. And then a couple days later, we got a knock on our door, and my neighbor, smiling at me, was there with her son, who's about Elijah's age. And these neighbors have become such good friends and have impacted our family so much. But the thing that has just impacted me and Charlie so much is that every time we are with them, they have an extra kid. And it's always the same kid. He's always there. He goes on vacation with them. He was with us on Easter. He's with them. And we came to find out that this uh, child is a close, close friend of of their younger sons. And he lives with a foster family. He's had a couple of them. And our neighbors, they just love on him. They just come alongside this child. They help parent him with their foster, with his foster parents, because you know we all need a lot of co-parenting. They give him meaningful work to do around the house, just like their own sons. They include him in their family discussions and intentionally are building this relationship with this 11-year-old boy. I was sharing this with our, my preaching team, which is a number of our staff that I meet with every week, and one of them used to be a foster parent, and she said, oh, Emily, you have no idea how valuable it is for that child to have parents that aren't his foster parents. 
to have other friends because, you know, if he gets moved, he loses the foster family, but he will never lose those friends. They have chosen to come alongside. Just one person. Our high school students are going to leave next Saturday for this trip to Puerto Rico. And when they get there, they are going to be so overwhelmed with the need. It's going to look like there's lots of Pauls that are in the barracks. There's so much poverty and there's so much destruction and such a, a, a difference, in, honestly, in our day-to-day life here in, in the Westlake area. Um, but this is my prayer for you all and for each of us. Whenever we see or we hear something that we feel like, oh, I must do something, this is not right, may we be like Paul's nephew. May we just be courageous and actually go and just come alongside. We don't have to save an entire people. We don't have to be alongside an entire people, but just choose to do for one what we wish we could do for many. And you know what it could be? in our own team. It could be in our own church. It could be in your own family, in your own neighborhood. Who knows what that one relationship could influence. For Paul, it changed the course of the spread of the gospel of Jesus. I'd like to invite our mission team forward. We are going to commission you There are 28 of them, I believe, under the leadership of Claire Berry and Taylor Leahy. And they're not all here this morning because it's 4th of July week, I get it. But those that are, um, we want to pray for you. I want to tell you one more thing about the come alongside that's super, super cool. So in the New Testament, in Acts, after Jesus is ascended and then he gives a gift to the world and he gives the Holy Spirit, right? Well, the word that's most commonly used for Holy Spirit is para kaleo. Remember how I talked about para means to come alongside? I want you to know that in all of your relationships, in all of your conversations, your travels, that there is already someone who has come alongside you. And that is the gift of the Holy Spirit will be with you and in and out and throughout you, throughout you and around you. And so I want you to feel that you are not alone and that we are, are going with you in spirit as the spirit of Christ connects us and emboldens us together. I didn't want to invite you all to lift your hands up like this as we pray for this team as they are heading to Puerto Rico. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God in heaven. We offer to you these faithful servants who are giving up of their time, who have given of their money, who have given of their hearts already in preparation. And we thank you for the ways that you have already come alongside them. And we cannot wait to hear the stories of how they will come alongside the people in Puerto Rico, the community, the church community that they will serve there. God, I thank you for their courage to go. And I pray that you would give them the patience to just be with people, be with each other. May they be shoulders to cry on for one another as well as for whoever they come into contact with. But they may also, may they be strength. May they be joy and peace. May they be kind. So God, we offer this team to you in the mighty name of Jesus. And all God's people said,
Amen.